Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Stuff Your Ears. We are a podcast of Bismarck Community Church, and here we will give you conversations, discussions, as well as sermons and thoughts and ruminations that all are aimed at helping us to live, or at the very least, to understand what it means to live as a faithful Christian in a world that's often not quite what we wish it were. Glad you tuned in. I hope you enjoy. And as always, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I'm just going to look. I'll read you just a few verses so you can see what I mean. Um, this is Matthew. Uh, so he goes on, blah, 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 blah. Um, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. She's going to be the first one we talk about today, Tamar. And so we'll see her story in Genesis chapter 38. So that's what I did for this series. I looked at the, that particular chapter, and now, well, who's Tamar? What do we know about Tamar? We're going to go back to Genesis 38, early in the story, and we're going to find out who Tamar is. And here's what I'm going to to read it, kind of probably stop, talk about it a little bit as we go, and then I'll just make a few points, and I'll try to be quick. But hey, good news, we don't have discipleship class. So we're going to, if we bleed into the, the 11, 15, 30 hour, you know what, we'll all, we'll all live through it. You just ate a big meal. You can make it till noon. <laughs> Genesis 38, it happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Now, look, I know, this is weird names, weird places. Let me explain. Judah is Jacob's son. You know Joseph, fancy coat guy, right? Judah is the guy, him and his brothers, sold Joseph off to be a slave in Egypt. Then Judah, then Judah, after selling Joseph, probably collecting his check, it literally says he turned aside. He left his family. This is not something that that family for, for a few generations was prone to. They were sticking together, Abraham and his son and his grandson, and, and they, were, they were keeping it in the family, right? They were sending off to, to marry their cousins, people that were close, and there was a restriction. You're not supposed to marry these, these Canaanite people, right? He turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. I just love the language, right? <laughs> a certain Adulamite. We don't know about the Adulamites, but I can tell you this. Hira is sort of not a great influence, He's a good friend to Judah, and we'll see what a good friend he is in this story, but he's kind of like a, a, a compatriot in nefarious behavior, okay? So he's turned aside from his family toward becoming buddies with Hera. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite, there we go again, certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she can, and I just, this, can I just say? It's interesting to me, horrific. You're going to see worse, way worse, before I finish reading this. But um, the, uh, the, the daughter of Shua is all that Judah's wife gets called. We don't know her name. She's the daughter of Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son. He called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son. He called his name Onan. She bore another son, and he, she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chezeb and she bore him. So Judah's got three, three sons now by this unnamed woman, the daughter of Shua. And then we get more interesting. Judah took a wife for 
Ur, his firstborn, because that's important, right? Firstborn gets all the privilege, all of it. You don't split things, 30, 30, 30, 25, and you, don't, you don't do any of that. You give everything to the firstborn. The firstborn is supposed to get everything in this culture. So Judah goes out and he takes a wife, someone for Ur, and her name was Tamar. She's the one. She's the one who's named. Let's see why. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. We don't know what he did. We don't know why, but Ur was probably not a good guy. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if he was abusing Tamar. I don't know if it had anything to do with Tamar. We don't know. All we know is the Lord put him to death because he was wicked. Then it gets interesting. Then Judah said to Onan, this is the secondborn, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Now, I know how weird that is, okay? But in, this is something you've you got to understand, too. In this particular culture, no, no, I, look, I know, I know, I know, I know that right now, 2022 America, Women and men are still not exactly equal. I understand that in many, and in some places here in America, it's worse than others, and in some parts of the world, I'm not talking about, there, there's some real horrific things happening. But right now in America, I know it's still not sort of a level playing field. I, I get that. But I promise you this, there is no woman living in America who can understand what Tamar is living with. Tamar, they didn't have a social security net. Tamar could not have a job. She could not own property. In fact, she was treated as if she was property. She, she, she had no recourse. Only one way, only one hope for a 401k, for a way to live out her days into old age, one possibility, and that was to have a son. It was the only hope she had. Now, that's not... Well, just want to say, when the Bible, this is, this is really important to point out, when the Bible tells you things like, this is what happened, it's really important that we all understand the Bible is not saying, this is what should happen. It's a real confusing thing, I get that, but we need to, we need to be able to separate and see what the Bible is actually saying as it reports facts, and we will see that. So the duty, and this was common practice, the duty of a brother to his older brother and to his older brother's wife was to give her sons if she didn't have any. And it was a way of protecting and providing for the vulnerable. I know it sounds awful to a lot of us, and I understand that it does, but it was the best that they could do in the days that they lived in to make sure that people were provided for, that the vulnerable and the weak were cared for, was to keep that practice going. So he says, go, to, go do that. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. He didn't want to have kids with his brother. And so, so here's, where, here's where I always say, you know what? Bible sometimes ought to come with that E sticker on the front cover. Sorry, it's not me. This is God's word. So, so he, didn't, he didn't like that. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give his offspring to his brother. He understood how that worked. They didn't know a lot, but he understood how that worked. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Now, I don't know what Ur did, but I know what Onan did. He, 
exploited Tamar. He, Tamar, he served his own need, didn't he, without serving hers. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up, the thirdborn. This woman has already been married to two sons of his, and they've both died. For their own fault, maybe Judah knows that, maybe he doesn't, but he's afraid. He feared that his son would die like his brother. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, she was daughter, died. And when Judah was comforted, so after he got over that, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers. He and his friend Hira, the Adulamite. We remember Hira. Okay, now another complicated mess. Let me give you some cultural background. This is like Oktoberfest. What he's doing is it's the harvest celebration. He's taking his sheep up to be sheared. They're getting all their hair cut off. They're going to a big, you know, all the people from all the surrounding pasture lands are coming into Timnah, and they're all shearing the sheep, and it's a big party time. That's what's happening in, in this particular scene. So him and Hira are going up there, and they're going to Oktoberfest, and they're bringing, and, and they're going to have a good time. Um, and when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw, she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. Tamar's been cheated out of the possibility of having provision, protection, and being cared for, which is her right, and she's being cheated out of it. She sees it. And when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute. For she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Hey, come, come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? He said, I'll tell you, I'll send you a young goat from the flock. I'll get back to my flock and I'll send a goat. You just let me come on in now. And she said, Well, if you give me a pledge until you send it, give me something I can hold on to until I get the goat. That's the deal. And he said, what should I give you? And he said, your signet, cord, your signet and your cord and the staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and, sh- and she conceived by him. And then he left. And, 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 and let me explain something. That signet cord and the staff and that, that rope and all that, that is how he signs contracts. The, that is not just some kind of like decorative stuff and accessorizing stuff. That is his like gold visa card. That's what... He's like, hold on to this, and I'll send you the goat. It's, it's how he is identified. It's how he signs contracts. It's how he sends letters and lets people know this is who I am. Look, there's the signet ring. It identifies him. And, and so that's, that's it's like I said, it's kind of a gold visa. And he says, hold on to this until I send you the goat. That's, that's what's going on. So, verse 20, when Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, there he is again, Hira, Hira takes the goat up. He's like, okay, we'll find her. Um, to, and so, he get, so he can get his stuff back. He did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is that cult prostitute who was in him at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute's been here. So he returned to Judah, and he said, I didn't find her. Also, the men of the place said she wasn't there. And Judah replied, just let her keep the things as her own. Let's let her keep it, or we will be laughed at. Isn't that interesting? It's all Judah, and he's bringing we into it. I just think that's fun. fun. Yeah. You see, I, I, I did it. I sent the young goat, but you didn't find her. That's, that's the story. Okay. 
About three months later, Judah was told, hey, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. <gasps> Harlot. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. I have a feeling for Judah that felt like a, he was probably relieved. Tamar had been a bit of a problem. He didn't know what to do with her. He obviously didn't want to marry her off to Shelah. Uh, he, you know, I have a feeling that in that moment, he's like, good, let her be burned. And she was being brought out. She sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose they are. She gives the gold card. She's like, see if you can see, read the name on the bottom. This is <laughs> who made me pregnant. And then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I since I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. That's enough. I'll stop there. There were twins in her womb. A few things that I, I, I want us to notice maybe here. Um, the first thing is that God's people have never, ever, ever lived in a world that is as it should be. At least not since the creation. Not since Adam and Eve, right? But, but as soon as they made the choice to say, you know what, we know better than you, God. The world has not been what it should be. In this story, you see power and abuse of power. Exploitation of the vulnerable. You see poverty and, and hopelessness and... And no other choice. That's what's going on. You know, I have these conversations, and I get it. You know, and I, and I, I, I hear people tell me, you know, things sure are getting worse. <sighs> tell that to Tamar. I don't buy it. I think things are arguably getting better in many ways. Hunger, poverty. I mean, they're, they're, they're Yeah. There's always places where the weeds are growing into the field. But I'd say it's going to be hard-pressed to decide whether things are getting worse or whether things are getting better. It just depends on what you look at. Sometimes when I hear people say things are getting worse, honestly, it's about power. I've lost power. I feel like I can't control this, so things are, things are getting worse. Well, Judah probably thought things were getting worse when he saw that Visa card coming back. The message here is not about men equaling power or even about exploitation as much as it's saying people will hurt people. <laughs> always have, always will. And God is the one that rescues. That's the message. That's what this is saying. He rescues Tamar. Through impossible situations, he rescues her. So that's one thing. The world is, is not as it, as it should be, and we have never and will never, until we get to that panel, when all things are made new, live in a world the way it should be. Everything in between, the story of our lives, happens in a world that is not as it should be. The second thing is, even as we live that out, is it God's people are deeply, daily, and ongoing in need of grace. 
Are we deserving of it? Is Judah deserving of it? Is Ur? I don't know. I don't know what he did. Is Onan deserving of God's grace? I mean, look at him. Look at Judah. Abuse of power. He, he used his power. He used his position. He used his authority. He used his wealth. Yet he was the, the patriarch, sort of, this part of the family. He leaves his family and becomes the, the guy with the money and the property and the power and the signet ring and the cord and all that mess, right? And he uses all of that to protect himself first and later for his own satisfaction at the expense of the vulnerable. What he does. Onan, his son, did exactly the same thing. And it's not just Judah. I mean, look at Peter. Years later, a thousand years or so after this, more than that, Peter would use what power he had the night Jesus got arrested. He had very little power, right? But he had enough power to use his mouth to say, I don't know him. Whatever power he had, he used to protect himself. How often do we do that? Do we use whatever power, whatever authority, whatever strength we do have, how often do we use that for our own benefit at the expense of others? Maybe we do it at work to advance our own careers at the expense of maybe someone else's. Maybe that's something we do. Maybe we do this with our kids, right? We, we, we got to keep our kids in line. Why? So that your image of me is what I want it to be, right? Kids embarrass me. They don't. But I'm just saying, that's what happens. Just, just we're clear. <laughs> but, but we say our kids embarrass us. And so we've got to, that's not that we shouldn't be that way. We, it's about us. We, so we, we use our power to get them in line. It's really about making sure that that's, that's exploiting. That's exploiting our power. That's using our power for our own benefit. We all need grace. Now, some of us, you might be afraid that I'm going to be like, poor Judah, let's forgive Judah. <laughs> But Judah needs grace. Now, some of us, when I say that, I know this, are mad. How dare you? And I get it. Man, do I ever get it. Because I know, I know some Judas. I do. I know, I know men who have used their power in these exploitative, brutal, horrific ways. I do. And so I understand why you're mad. And I understand why you could be mad when I suggest that Judah stands in need of grace instead of torture. <laughs> I get it. But sometimes that anger that we have toward others reveals something to us about ourselves. Because all of us equally stand deeply in need of grace. None of us is good enough to not need grace. If you get mad about Judah, take a moment and think, do I need grace? And maybe take our eyes off of Judah and men like him and put them on ourselves. Now when I say that, 
another emotion that we might have. We might be angry at Judah, but then again, we also might be, feel shame. We might feel like, yeah, but me, I mean, oh, when I'm looking at, yeah, I'm angry at Judah. What an unforgiving jerk I am, right? Like, or, or, or we might, maybe, maybe you're here and you've been a Judah. If that's the case, I would love to talk with you. I believe in grace. I also believe in justice. But if you're feeling shame, I want you to hear this. If God can forgive Judah, and He does, by the way, the story plays out later, God does forgive Judah. If God can forgive Judah, He can forgive you too. And some of us need to hear that. We need grace. One other thing, another thing, maybe there's a couple other things, we'll see how we do. God's people, you and I, we need to learn from others. We have a tendency to think that we've got it all together. We have a tendency to think that we know all the answers. I mean, that's human, I suppose. But in this case, Tamar is the teacher. She, I love, she doesn't even out Judah directly. She sends his visa card and says, hey, can you tell who this is? She is teaching him, and he sees her behavior, and he says... She's more righteous than me. And he, he humbles himself. Our, here's, a, here's a good question. Are you and I, some of us here, depends on where we're at, what our stories have been, and maybe where our, we all have a little self-righteousness, regardless of, you don't even have to believe in Jesus to have a little self-righteousness, right? We're all thinking we're better than those other people, wherever we are. So wherever you've got a little bit of that, I want you to find those people that you think you're better than. I don't know who they are. That's up to you. Um, We're all different places. Maybe it's um, the gay couple down the street or the post-abortive mom, right? I don't know. Maybe it's uh, that that person that voted for Trump. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, the other people. I, I, who, who is it that you sometimes look at and think, well, I'm better than them. I, I, I need you to do this. I want you to look at them, and I want you to find a place where they maybe love their partner better than you love your spouse. Or where they, they love their kids graciously and kindly better than you do, maybe. Do you have the ability to do what Judah did? To look at someone who you consider yourself to be better than and say, they're more righteous than I. Because we all need to be learning from others. Is that something we're willing to do? Last thing, God cares. God cares for the vulnerable, for the weak, for those who are exploited. He takes care of those in a world that is just not what it should be. Tamar, we can debate her choices. Did she make the very best choice? I think she did, given the circumstances she was in. She did the only thing she knew she could do. And I also think, on some level, Tamar was married into this family. And this family now, for four generations, has held on to this belief that, that in Genesis it says, a seed, an offspring. You should read Genesis sometime and underline every time you see offspring. There is an offspring coming to this family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, 
there is an offspring coming who is going to finally be the hope and the answer to the pain and the problems that we have. And I think on some level, Tamar knew that. She'd heard the stories. I think she knew that, that having a son in this line was significant. Being a part of that mattered. And I think she did whatever she could to be a part of that. And God, in His grace and in His mercy, gave her not one, but two sons. He provided for her where she had no other recourse, no other hope. God provided for her needs. God cares for the weak, the vulnerable. There's a uh, Jesus said in Matthew 23, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. It's this weird math in the kingdom, right? Because God cares for the vulnerable, He cares for the weak, He cares for the exploited. Which are you? Which am I? Are we people that have power, who have control, who can manage the things around us and order and structure the world? Or are we people who are helpless and hopeless and needy? God elevates the helpless and hopeless and needy, and He humbles those who exalt themselves. We have that tendency to want the power so that we can control, so that we can conform others to our way of thinking. Whatever it is, right, we want the power. That's not who God's there for. That's not who He protects. That's not who He helps. That's who He humbles. Are we those who are willing to lay our power down and humble ourselves first and recognize, no, 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 I am vulnerable, I am weak, and I am in a desperate, needy position. That is who God rescues. I think over the next several weeks, we just need to remember that. That we need to be humbled. We need to humble ourselves in the face of Jesus and in the face of the world. Let me pray for us as, as Jim comes up. Jesus, you're good. We are needy. We are... Um, we stand in need of grace. Would you help us to remember that need and help us to trust and hope in you? Let Tamar um, be a teacher to all of us. That your grace extends beyond all the pain and the hardship and the struggles that we might face. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor Jared, I didn't know you were going to be speaking on that today, and uh, that was a that was a really uh, that was a really difficult passage to read, and um, it really is. I mean, because you see the manipulation, you see the abuse, and I didn't know you're going to be starting our series off with such a difficult passage yet. It's within Jesus' lineage, and we have to wonder, why is it there? And this morning, and I didn't know you were preaching on Tamar this morning, on our Instagram account, I wrote this, I said, and so it just